Good morning. You got your Bibles, I know you do. Turn with me to Malachi as we get to this time. As If you're a guest, welcome. If you're watching online, let me explain what we normally do. We normally pick books of the Bible and we study them all the way through. We have been studying through the Gospel of John, but we took a little bit of a break to work through Malachi. And we're getting to the end of Malachi today. And next week we'll jump right back into John chapter 8 where we left off. And so excited today to look at... The Lord's coming, covenant coming. This whole series has been couched in the fact that God has chosen for himself a covenant people. And so with you, if you would stand with me in honor of God's word as we read Malachi chapter 4 verses 1 to 6. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant, and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, I don't know what everybody has been through this week and the sitting in under my listening of my voice now, whether online or, or here and our worship center, Lord, but I know what I've been through. And so, Lord, help us, we pray. Comfort the redeemed. Convict the lost. Comfort the broken. Rescue the perishing. For this is something only you can do. We are your messengers. We are your children. We are your ambassadors. And so, Lord, today, equip us, encourage us, and strengthen us for the days ahead. You did not mean for us to survive, to live in abundance. And so grant us through the power of the Holy Spirit as your word is proclaimed. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. And so if you haven't studied Malachi before, if you've been with us the whole time, if you look back at the beginning of Malachi, there's a starting central message through this. And you've got to get that message right before you grab the rest of it. We've said most people, the only message they ever heard in Malachi is a message on tithing or something. It's not where it starts. It's not where we should start. The message is, I love you. That's the message. You are my people. And I love you. That's the message. But what we have seen as this book has unfolded is that there's only two groups of people. Those who fear the Lord and those who do not. 
the reverent, and what the Scripture calls here today the arrogant or the wicked. Here's the frustration that was going on in the people of Israel, and it's went on in your life, if you're honest, at some point in time. The arrogant, the wicked, seem to be prospering, and the frustrated faithful, the faithful are becoming frustrated, and they're beginning to drift. The effect was they had lost the heart of worship. Enters in the prophet to call God's people back. You see, there was these two men. They loved to fish. And so they went fishing. Right? And so the fish finder goes off. It starts hitting on some fish. And so they stop. They start getting their rods and reels and their rigs out and everything. And the one guy begins to tell the other guy, hey, I'm, I'm going to get me a new boat. He says, why do you need a new boat? He said, we need a bigger boat. It, it comes rigged with everything that I need. It's got a, a bigger live well to put the fish in. It's even got this 3D fish finder. It's, it's, like, it's like going to, to see your baby, except you can see the fish swimming around. We've got to have that. And the guy's sitting there going, well, what do you think about this new fishing vest I got? Right? I can go fishing in the mountains. I don't have to bring my tackle box. I got everything on here. And the other guy says, well, my wife got me this shirt. And it wicks away all the moisture and keeps me cool, keeps my arms covered so I don't get too much sun. It's just perfect. Question. What have they lost sight of? The fish, right? It is not as if they don't love fishing. They're out there because they do love fishing. The reality is we can begin to meddle around in non-essentials and forget that God has put us here for a purpose. You see, talking about fishing is not fishing. Amen? And listen, talking about theology is not theology. For we know what we believe by how we live, not what we say. This is possible in all of our lives, isn't it? This has been my heart. This is the reason we went to Malachi as a congregation. My heart, my prayer, my goal for us is that God would restore our first love and cast our anchor into the Lord of hosts. For he is the only one that will hold sure. The main idea today is a simple one. Those who fear the Lord long for his return when all things will be made right. Before we talk about the blood-bought promises, let us turn to Romans 5, chapter 9. I don't believe that's in your notes. Romans 5, 9. We know this verse well. But let's remind ourselves before we get started, before we think about the blood-bought promises, let us remember as if the praise team and grace have not preached the gospel to us already. Let's just remind this ourselves. Romans 5, verse 9. Romans 5, verse 9. Since therefore we now have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. We remember that the blood of Jesus Christ purchased something. It did something for people. It did not save people hypothetically. It saved people actually to something and from something. And so today, let us remember at least, but at least these four blood-bought promises. 
about the day of the Lord. Those who fear the Lord long for it. I want us to see that. But this day, look at verse 1. The Lord's day. These are promises, brothers and sisters. I'm not giving you any opinion today. Matter of fact, we're just looking at a lot of Scripture today. The Lord's day is coming, bringing absolute destruction. Look at verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. When Scripture speaks of the day or the day of the Lord, it's talking about the Lord's return. The Lord's coming. He physically ascended and He will physically descend. He will come again. And this brings both definitions of what we talked about last week of fear. Remember fear? The fear of God? The Bible uses fear in many different ways. In the Hebrew, it had both a sense of reverence, but also a sense of dread. Here's the reality. Both are used in describing that day. So turn with me to 1 John. I want you to see this. This is why we long for it. 1 John chapter 4. We're just getting almost through, been reading through 1 John as a family. We read this the other, other day and it grabbed me about Malachi. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe that believe the love that God has for us. Let me just stop there. Notice the context of love. It's, it's critical. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, is so also are we in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Do you see that those who fear the Lord, those who love him, long for this day? But listen, the opposite is true. Those who do not fear the, the Lord dread this day. It is a day when Christ himself will make all wrongs right. This is our promise, brothers and sisters. This is our story. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ will return, and he will make all things right. And the sobering news to the people that was saying, where is the God of justice? Or, eh, who cares? What's the big deal, Malachi? The sobering news is the Lord of hosts says he's going to start with them. He starts with the arrogant. This is absolute destruction. This figure, figure of stubble or burning chaff is a metaphor for judgment. I want you to see it. If you can just look on the screen if you would like. Obadiah 18. Obadiah, a little bit hard to find. Obadiah 18. Listen to this language. Listen to the figurative language here. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Now you have to think back with me to the beginning of our study to think about how the, what the promises that God has made to the house of Jacob versus what he has said to the house 
of Esau. Here's what I want you to see. Fire means judgment. Fire means judgment. The people of God, he's going to use them and bring judgment on the house of Esau. And I want you to see the nature. This is why this is important. Look at what he's calling them. The house of Esau is going to be turned into what? Stubble. See the next line? He's going to consume them. There will be no survivors. Brothers and sisters, when the Lord returns, his destruction will be absolute on those who have rejected him for the arrogant and the wicked. This, imagine with me, we've all seen the news, forest fires going on all the time. Imagine the worst picture of the forest fire that you've ever seen in your life. I saw one one time, and they had these, these, these firemen standing there, and they looked like ants among this whole mountain that was ablaze. Listen, that is not sufficient to, talk, to describe this day. That what it says here, you see, when a forest fire sweeps through, it doesn't kill the roots. That's why you'll see not too long before new life springs up. The nature of this day for the wicked is so that neither branch nor root will survive. Absolute destruction. This is a promise. There will be no new life coming up from that. That the day is today for repentance. On, the, on that day, those who have been asking for justice through all of Malachi will be the first ones to see it because it will fall on them. The Lord's day is coming, bringing absolute destruction. But listen, got to hold both of these. The Lord's victory will be sure, bringing absolute healing. So you have this contrast going on. Look at with me in verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Do you see the absolute contrast? One coming, the Lord will return. And for those who fear him, absolute destruction. But for those, for, for those who do not fear him, absolute destruction. But for those who fear him, absolute healing. It's triumph. It's, it's victory. You see, this appearing brings both blessing and both a curse. And as Christians, we should, be, we should talk about both. Malachi states this nature of this healing is Christ is coming. It's healing in his wings. You could even say this is healing in his garments. He's bringing both this sword of justice. He's also bringing balm, this healing, this, this spiritual medicine that will heal. Long for it this week as I went out, engaged some of our folks in the homeless community, and I met a man named Lee. Lee made the same mistakes that many of us has made. He blew it in his marriage. Because he blew it in his marriage, he turned to drugs to console himself. The drugs took everything. He was he was a man who had a home and a family and a business. Now he's sleeping at the back of Goodwill on a loading dock. He's, got, he's a diabetic with no medicine. Couldn't even form his words. I'm I, 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 so tired. We fed him crackers to get his blood sugar up. It's hard to get in a car and drive away from that. Here's what I said. Oh Lord, one day. No more of that. No more sin. No more consequences of sin. 
Here's what Peter says. Because of what the Lord has promised to do to come back and to bring absolute justice and to bring absolute healing, because this promise is of blood-bought sure, what kind of people should we be now in lives of holiness? Psalms 10 verse 16 says this, The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from this land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that, so, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. You see, the nature of this healing in Malachi is predominantly spiritual healing. In order for there to be no more sin and no more consequences of sin, the Lord has to deal with the sin in us and the sin in this world. The result of this will be absolute healing of not only us but the land. The Lord is coming with healing in His wings. And for those who fear Him, this brings joy. It brings a celebration. We talked about that last week, didn't we? These calves jumping around because they cannot contain themselves. When we think about the Lord coming again, what does it do in your heart? This tells us a lot. The Lord is coming, bringing absolute destruction, but also absolute victory. And listen, this is important. This is a promise. The Lord's coming, bringing vindication. The Lord's vindication will be unmistakable, bringing all the wicked to justice. Look at verse 3. Look at the you and your here in, this, in these words. And you, speaking of those who fear the Lord now, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord speaks in His word of vindication. And when He does, He speaks of vindicating two things. His name and His people. His name and His people. And when the Lord comes back, He will vindicate both. Vindicate you, brother and sister. If you live long enough, you're going to be treated unjustly. Listen. If you try to rescue those who are treated unjustly, you will be treated unjustly. The Lord's coming to vindicate not only His own name, but listen, because we're in Christ. The Lord bought that. We bear His name. Psalms 37 verse 6 says, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Turn back to Psalm 37 when you get home and look at the context of who he's speaking to. He will bring forth our righteousness as his people. He will bring forth our justice as the noonday. Brothers and sisters, this is our message. This is our story. Why do the heathen rage? Why has God not brought justice and healing to this land? It is for the sake of mercy. Brothers and sisters, but listen, our story is one day he is coming back. And when he comes back, justice comes back with him. This is the message. Isaiah 54, verse 17 says this. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication from me declares the Lord. Do you see that? Who's he speaking 
to the Lord's people. The good news today is the Lord has not come. Why is that? Because the Lord offers repentance and restoration so that all people might long for that day. Oh, how I prayed that we would understand the spirit of prophecy today. How dare we neglect it as Southern Baptists who dare talk about the Holy Spirit sometimes and prophecy. What did the prophets long for, brothers and sisters? They longed for the people of God to repent and to be restored. That was their purpose. With me at verses 5 and 6. Behold. You can say it this way. Listen. I will send you a lie to the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with utter destruction. Let us hear the heart of the prophets. Isaiah chapter 55. You know this passage. This is the song the prophets sang in her heart. It's your heart. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me diligently and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. This is the song of the prophets. Listen, we're still here, and the Lord's not come, and it should be your song, and it should be my song. No, no one is too far gone that the Lord cannot restore them. This is our message So what is the song of the restored? Psalm 17 verse 15. Live by the promises. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I will be satisfied now in the midst of the storm. In the Lord's coming one day when he comes, I shall be satisfied absolutely. Mind, body, and soul. Elijah's ministry, you see, that speaks here, is one of restoration and repentance. That's why he said there's one coming. There's one coming. It will come in the spirit of Elijah. Turn, turn with me to Matthew 17. You remember this. This was the transfiguration. When both Moses and Elijah appeared to the Lord and the disciples for the first time got a glimpse of of the Lord of hosts, His glory. Peter starts, you remember how Peter always stuck his foot in his mouth. Let's build tabernacles. Let's bring up this verse. Elijah's coming. Listen to what the Lord said. Verse 11. 
he answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. So understand what's going on here. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, pointing people to Christ. And what was he pointing people to? What did he tell them to do? Repent. He didn't tell them to ask them to say a little silly prayer. He didn't tell them to, to sign a card and come down to the front. He called them to repent. This is our message, brothers and sisters. This is the spirit of prophecy and it's nothing else. God calls us to repent. John the Baptist coming in the spirit of Elijah, pointing people to Christ, saying, repent. He's here. Christ came calling people to do what? To repent. I am here. I am the Son of Man. I have been sent by my Father. Why are you here? You are here to point others to Christ. The bloody cross and the empty tomb. And we call people to repent. And here's our promise. For all who repent, none will be refused. And all will be absolutely, completely restored. How do we know that? Because of the spirit that lives in us. And because God says, I will adopt you into my family. This is a promise that God gives. The last chapter in the book of this, of God's word, Revelation says this. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let everyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Last words. Lord says, surely I am coming soon. And God's people said, come Lord Jesus. So what? I just want to ask us three questions. Three life-changing questions, I believe. To orient our hearts toward the Lord of hosts. First is, we see it in verse 4 of Malachi. Will I remember the Lord of hosts by obeying his word to his people? Remember, verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. You see, to remember in the Bible is not just a cognitive experience. It's not just something you said, going, oh, yeah, I remember that. Remember going to the beach when you were eight? Mm, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. That's not biblical remembrance. When the Lord remembers something, he's about to act on it. It is to call something to mind and then act on it. And so when the Lord tells his people to remember the, word, the law, he's saying, remember my word. In other words, trust and obey. Remember it, call it to mind, and do something with it. Obey. You see, I'm afraid that most of us look at the law like a speeding ticket. It's the worst feeling in the world, isn't it? You're driving on the road, and you look up in the mirror, and there comes the woo, you know, the blue light's flashing. You look on there, he's a state trooper. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to get a ticket. There's no way out of this one. No, the picture is this. You're walking somewhere and you are surrounded by three people who mean you harm at best. Right? 
You're surrounded. Not a chance you're going to defend yourself. And you see the blue light coming. I ask you, what does that blue light tell you at that time? In that context. Pretty happy about that blue light, ain't you? Rescue. I'm going to, I'm going to joy, blessing, hope. You see, the law for God's people was life. It was joy. Just turn and read Psalms 119. It's how they felt about it. You see, it doesn't matter whether it's then or whether it's now. Obedience to God is still, it has always been the pathway to true satisfaction and to true joy. When I was thinking about this question, this hymn came, came to mind. I know you know it, Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still with all who will trust and obey. I love verse 3. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil He, but he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Verse 5, then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet. Or we'll walk by his side in the way. This is the resolve. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. You see? This is my question for myself and my question for you. Do I need to restore my first love? I, I'm not asking you if you love the Lord. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. Turn with me to Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. I'm asking you, do I need to restore my first love? Revelation chapter 2. You see, Revelation is meant to be a comfort for God's church. It's what was written. God's people are always being persecuted. In other words, in the storm in a Christian's life, there's always a seem to be a storm blowing. Look at verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among them in seven golden lampstands. Verse 2. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, verse 4, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. You see, it wasn't as if they did not love the Lord. It wasn't as if they were not doing the good things they were. But see, a first love is a love that supersedes all other love. You see, good works, remember 1 Corinthians 13? Good works are nothing without first and foremost love. It has to be the heart, you see? That's the whole purpose of the Malachi's study that over the last eight weeks. It needs to be the heart of our worship. It needs to be the heart of why you get up in the morning and why you go to work tomorrow. The Lord cares about quality and quantity. You see, it is possible 
to do the right things in the wrong love. The Bible calls that vanity. The Lord does not merely desire from you to be loved. You hear me? You hear me today? The Lord does not desire to simply be loved. He desires to be loved chiefly, first and foremost, over everything and everyone in your life. That's what He desires. Listen, we had this conversation even before Graceland decided to be baptized that that had to be true of her life. He is first and foremost. He is first, not your grandkids. He is first, not your children. He is first, not your spouse. Quit using that as an excuse to be disobedient. We must love Him first and foremost. Listen, most important thing I'm going to say in the whole message. The quality of all of our physical relationships are determined by the depth of our covenant love for the Lord. Say that again. The quality of all our physical relationships are determined by the depth of our covenant love for the Lord. And so if you come to me and you want help with your marriage, I can tell you what I'm going to drill into first. How's your relationship with the Lord? Because you cannot have a good relationship with your spouse if you first don't have a deep covenant relationship with the Lord of hosts. That is first. It is foremost. Do you need to restore that? what the Lord says to you today Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly and you will find rest for your soul that's good news isn't it how many of us just need rest for our souls my yoke is easy my burden is light third question have I thrown my anchor of hope into the Lord of hosts? I hope you know what passage I'm going to here. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Brothers and sisters, there's not a person on this planet that can live more than five minutes without hope. Hope is critical. You want to know how people end up committing suicide? Five seconds of hopelessness. That's all it takes. Five seconds of hopelessness. We are people created for that. We're created for God. We're created to where the anchor of our life must be rested in one place in Him only. And yet we see as we go out on the street or conversations you have at work that people put their anchor in anywhere other than the Lord of hosts. Here's the promise today. Hebrews 6, 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. A hope that enters the inner places behind the curtain. And if you've got your Bibles open, look back up to verses 11 to 12 because context is everything. How do we have this hope? What is this hope? What is the author of Hebrews desire for the Christian people he's writing to? Look at verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the, the full assurance of hope until the end. Verse 12. So that you may not be sluggish, but in imitators of those who through faith 
and patient inherit the promises. Author of Hebrews longs for the God's people to not give up. Why? Because it's hard to be a Christian. Suffering because of it. How can we have this hope? Verse 18 says there's only one way. We must put our faith in the God that cannot lie. You see that? Something God can't do. He can't lie. That means once he establishes a covenant with you, he can't go back on his covenant. Why? Because his promises are built on trust. And the Lord cannot lie. So how do we do that practically? How can we set our hope firmly upon Christ? We must remember. By that, remember what I say remember means. We must remember. We must call it to mind and move toward action. We must remember that Jesus Christ went into the Holy of Holies to offer himself once for those who believe. You see, there was a time when you couldn't come into the presence of God because your sins separated you. There was a time when the Lord of hosts came and lived the perfect life because you couldn't and died a death in your place. And what he did, what he did, what he accomplished is he actually went into the presence of the holiness of God and he actually offered himself in your place and he died. And what happened on that day when the veil was torn from top to bottom was that the people of God forever will be able to enter into the presence of God because of the person of Jesus Christ. We've got to remember that. That's what we set our hope on. I am never, ever going to be separated from the presence of God. When I sin, it affects my relationship, but I can repent, and I am immediately restored. I will never be an, not a child. We need to remember where Jesus has gone. He went into the Holy of Holies for us. And listen, right now, where is God? Where is Jesus? He's in the presence of the Father where He lives every day to intercede for us. That's where He is. And one day, He's going to get up from that place and He's coming again. We need to remember that. Secondly, that He's coming again. And when He comes us again, this is good I heard Pastor John MacArthur when they said, what's one of the best things of heaven? He said, no more sin, right? It's good he's going to heal us when he comes again from the inside out. And he's going to bring us safely into his presence. This is true of everybody in this room. In a matter of only a few short years, either he will come for you or you will go to him. What is your hope set on? Is it on the promises He promised to heal us. He promised to bring his own safely. Thirdly, we've already done this today and we're not done yet. He tells us to remember in another way, doesn't he? He tells us to remember through baptism. And so we have. He tells us to remember through the Lord's Supper. And we're about to. We celebrate the Lord's Supper every week here because the Lord told us to remember. This is not simply a Oh, yeah. This is fellowship. We're fellowshipping with the Lord, with His people. 
We're remembering that his body was broken, his blood was shed for us. We remember that the old is gone and the new is come. All this is from God. That's what we remember. We remember these things. And our hope is renewed. Couldn't help but this week. I had hymns popping in my head every which way. Happens sometimes. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, although the ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils this lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale. My anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. In him my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Listen, today the Lord bids all to come. To come and repent of your sins. And here's his promise. He will restore you. He will reconcile you to the first love. Cast your anchor into the Lord of hosts. Here's his promise. He will hold you fast. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful study we've had in Malachi. Always, Lord, sad in the pastor's heart when he ends the end of a book, but exciting in the next book of your word we get to study. And so, Lord, I, I pray for your people. Many of us would have to be honest to say, Lord, I don't love you like I used to. I've drifted. I love you. I'm here because I love you. I want to love you more. I want to love you chiefly. I pray, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would do a work in them now. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That when our knees get weak and wobbly, spiritually or physically, that they can stand close beside of us. Lord, you have not come. And we do long for that day. But oh God, you have given us a church. We are your instruments. We are your instruments, God. Use us to play the sweet song of the gospel into a world that needs it, to our family members that need it. Restore the wandering today, God, through the power of your word, through the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We pray that. In Jesus' name, the Lord of hosts. And the Lord be worshipped as we respond, as we actively respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen.